Today's message is the last of the series. It's titled Perfect Union, and the text is Genesis chapter 2, and we'll see verses 23 and 24. Let's remember or begin by remembering something brought in the first message of the series. This is, by the way, this is not a political message. I, I do not preach political messages here. There are topics that I address that those in politics have a hand in, <clears throat> but I do not preach political messages. I do not endorse candidates. This church does not endorse candidates. Now, I personally do, and usually you can follow my car and uh, find out who I'm for, but <clears throat> uh, since I've not yet made that decision, I don't have anything on my car other than a sheriff's star and a police benevolence association badge, which uh, I'm hoping keeps me from being stopped. But uh, <clears throat> other than that, <clears throat> I have not made that, that decision. But this is not a political message. I do remind you this, however. On the day <clears throat> of the Supreme Court decision regarding same-sex marriage, President Obama said, today <clears throat> our union became a little more perfect. As one who believes that we are made by our Creator, I have to take exception to that. I believe that God's plan from the beginning is still God's plan and purpose today in everything, not just in marriage, but certainly in marriage. Marriage was created by God as a union between a man and a woman. You can see that in our text, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, as we bring this series to a close, We acknowledge again that in America and in the world in general, we are in a time of identity crisis. The rapid rate of societal change in matters of lifestyle, gender identification, same-sex marriage, and more, the rapid change in those things is truly mind-boggling. In this series, we have looked at the creation of man and woman. We have discovered the uniqueness of our creation. We have dealt with the issues of what is called the gay lifestyle or homosexuality as defined in Scripture. And today we address the subject of marriage as God intended it. I've taken something of a musical theme, and I Hope you appreciate it. There will be some generation here that can appreciate my musical theme. Some of you will not have a clue about these song titles. And if you are one of those who does not have a clue about these song titles, I would say to you, get a life. These are great songs, and uh, you should know them. Our first point is, what's love got to do with it? 
When the Supreme Court of the United States handed down the decision on same-sex marriage, the Internet was flooded with the signs, Love Wins. There were banners and pictures. There were posts and themes. If I remember correctly, the President of the United States said something along these lines. Today, the court told us that no one has the right to tell us who to love. It was not that exact statement, but the meaning was the same. Well, the question is begged, is that true? Does anyone have the right to tell us who to love? The way we answer that is related to what we believe about our being. You will answer that in accordance to what you believe about the Creator God. Remember the first message of the series, we talked about the foundational matter of creation and how that creation makes a difference in the way that we see everything. If you believe that you were created, that there is a creator, that you are answerable to your creator, then it will affect your worldview and your personal views of life. If you do not believe in a creator, and you believe that everything is evolving, and many people do, certainly in this town. <clears throat> I would say probably most of the world does today. If you believe that everything is evolving, then everything is still evolving, including the morals of the day, including the absolutes of the day, and so forth, and, <clears throat> and so on. Foundation to the Declaration of Independence was the belief that we have a Creator, and our Creator is God. And that would make a difference in regard to how this nation was formed and what this nation would do. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created, there's the word, created, equal, that they are endowed by their, here's the bigger word, creator, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now we're asking the question, what does love have to do with it? And I will grant you that people form love relationships beyond what would be biblical and traditional. There's no question of that. So this message or any belief that the only marriage God ordained is heterosexual marriage is not to say that there is some kind of love that people have outside of the traditions of men and the permissions of God. There are people that develop relationships and feelings, emotions, attachments, and so on that they may call love or that they do call love that are outside of our normal understanding and tradition and certainly outside of the permissions of God. All of that being said, our Creator does have words to say about the kind of love that is being experienced today. We could probably categorize this into many different ones, but I just want to give you three categories of love to tell you what love has to do with anything. First of all, there is unfaithful love. There are a lot of men and women who, though married, become involved with someone else and in some way fall in love with that person. There is little question that this love is is real, but it is unfaithful 
love. It may feel like love. It may feel like real love. It may seem that this is the kind of love that you want, but you have to understand that when you do that, you have entered into unfaithful love. It is a love outside of the design and the will of God. Now, there are many verses that speak to this kind of thing. Let me just give you a few. Here's Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and he asked her about her husband. And here's what he said. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. He called her out. In John chapter 8, there's a woman that was taken in adultery. In John 8 and verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now Jesus goes through some things and and he causes the scribes to go through a personal sense of self-examination and they walk away. And Jesus stood up, it says in verse 10, and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and look at this, and from now on, sin no more. What was her sin? Her sin was the sin of adultery. Her sin was the sin of unfaithful love, if you will. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 3, according, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So here's the only conclusion that any of us could come to, that there is a love relationship called an unfaithful love, but God cannot bless that love relationship. Extramarital affairs have become so common in the world that I'm sure that someone listening to this message, either in this room or by way of live stream, that there's someone, probably more than someone, who has been involved in unfaithful love. When you were experiencing it, you knew that it wasn't right. When you were involved in it, you knew that it was not the thing that you should do. However, the Barbara Mandrell song says, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And so you kind of followed that theme and you stayed with that theme. What's love have to do with it? Well, love has a lot to do with the issue at hand, but unfaithful love is not God love. Unfaithful love is not a love that God blesses. God's not unfaithful to us with His love, and God doesn't want to be us to be unfaithful with our love. Here's the second kind of love. There's the unnatural love. This is Romans 1.27. We looked at this last week. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts, with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, we spent all of last Sunday on this topic, so I won't preach that message again. But there you have it, right there. It's very simple. It's very clear in the Word of God. Now, the only way or reason that we should believe in the Word of God is that we are created by a Creator who wrote a Word. And the Word is this Word. It has 66 books in it. And this is God's revealed will for our lives. Now, if we believe that this is the Word of God 
and it is God's revealed will for our lives, then we have to understand that God has a definition of love. Not trying to be mean, but this is probably why that it was in the closet for so many years, is because it is not a God-blessed love. This is why people hide their adultery, because it is not a God-blessed love. 3% of America falls into this category of unnatural love, just as somewhere around 16% of Americans fall into the category of having had sexual relations with someone other than their, their spouse. Both of these happen, and neither are illegal as far as I know, but that doesn't alter the conditions that God has set out for marriage. Just because something is legal doesn't mean that it is right. Just because something is not against the law does not mean that it is not immoral. or We we should not receive our permissions based on that which is legal. Could I tell you that if I go to Colorado, that that, uh, the pot is legalized in Colorado? There are stores where you can buy it in Colorado. Now, because it's legal doesn't mean that, <clears throat> that I'm going to go to a, uh, a store and buy it and bake up a fresh batch of brownies. Just, you know, it's legal, <clears throat> but it's not something that I'm going to do. We have a tendency to think that if it's legal, it must be okay. Whether it's unfaithful love or unnatural love or some other form of love, God acknowledges only <clears throat> one kind of love, and that is this, <clears throat> unending love. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. With half of all marriages ending in divorce, there is a tendency to forget that God has a plan in marriage. Because it is so prominent today, There's a tendency to forget that God has a will and God has a plan in marriage. God intended, very simple. I I can hear uh, my friend, the late Jerry Falwell, say this right now. He used to say, one man for one woman for one lifetime. That's the way God meant it. I can hear him saying that. And he was right. That is what God intended. That's the plan of God. There's no question about that. You say, but what about society? I understand society. I understand what's going on. I understand the reality, but the reality does not alter the biblical worldview, or it shouldn't. Is divorce a reality? Well, of course divorce is a reality. However, the reality of the world in which we live doesn't change the mind of God. The mind of God should change the world, but It won't until we see him as our creator and we see ourselves as answerable to him. So what's love got to do with it? Well, love is defined by God and God has a love that he can bless. He cannot bless unfaithful love. He cannot bless unnatural love, but he can bless unending love. Now, I'm not getting enough amen, so here's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> Men, if you have an unending love for your wife, say amen. <laughs> that got you busted loose, didn't it? All right. 
<clears throat> First is what's love got to do with it? The second one, when a man loves a woman. By the way, Percy Sledge died earlier this year. I was in great mourning. He died on April the 14th. I can remember one time back when uh, <clears throat> I had this car and, and you had cassette tapes and I had this, this Percy Sledge song, When a Man Loves a Woman, on cassette tape. And, and I had this real cool car back then that could loop that thing over and over again. And so I was driving like 200 miles and I listened to When a Man Loves a Woman over and over again for 200 miles. I sang it to the top of my voice. It was awesome. All biblical instruction for marriage is based on when a man loves a woman. I I want to spend just a little time covering this. Our world is so upside down on this subject that we often forget the sanctity and the importance of marriage. First of all, we should know that in the Bible, marriage is recommended. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, my dad married my mother when she was way too young. I think she was younger than 16. Uh, But they stayed married for more than 50 years, and it was only death that separated them. Today, more people are waiting until much later in life to be married and there are record numbers of, uh, and, and that is fine. However, there are record numbers of couples living together without marriage, even though marriage is a biblical matter. <clears throat> Today, of all of the couples living in the same house today, men and women living together in the same house today, 50% of them are married, 50% of them are not married. That's the way that it is in the world in which we live today. Now, I've got to say this. That's not right in the eyes of God. It's acceptable to much, if not most, of society. You, you, there may be somebody here, and, and I love you. Oh, my goodness. And please don't say, well, I'm not going to go back to that church. He just said, but look, I'm, stay with me for a while. I'm going to say a lot of stuff that shakes you up. But that's what a pastor's supposed to and, and can I tell you this? That's what's been wrong in America today. And when we get to the end of this message, you're going to understand that I don't blame the government. I don't, I don't blame business. I blame the guys who are in my position standing in the pulpits, rubbing the fur down, hoping never to hear the cat to screech. That's the problem. So if, if you're... If you're living together and, and you're in attendance to this service, you, you say, well, they don't, they don't like me there. That's not true. We love you. If, if you're divorced, you, surely you understand that when I say that half of the world is, is divorced today, I, I would be some sorry guy if I stood up here and added to that some mean thing that makes you feel like you're not welcome in the family of God. You are. You didn't want your heart to be broken. You didn't want that difficulty. How, how nasty would that be of me to break your heart even more? I, 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 this is, I'm way off subject here, but 
I think churches have a responsibility to be clear with the truth, but to be compassionate. It, it, look, it would thrill me if all of your gay friends came to hear Pastor Ray preach. It would thrill me if all of our gay friends and family members came to hear the preaching of God's Word. That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. It should be that way. It should not be that, that we have this exclusionary thing of saying to someone, your life is not perfectly in a line, so uh, you don't get to come to church. Did you even listen to these words? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We are wretched people. And God loves us and saved us anyway. So please don't be put off by the truth. Be enlightened by it, and hopefully the truth is spoken in love. And and I want to say this. It isn't fair to address same-sex marriage as being out of the will of God without being honest about cohabitation. It's just not fair, and it's not biblical. God recommends marriage. Here's the second thing. God respects marriage. Marriage is respected. Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I want to be careful here, but you can see in this verse that God has regard for intimacy, but not immorality. There's no need to split hairs over this. It is what it is. If you're married, even if the marriage isn't perfect, but you're working on it, God can respect that. And, and I don't know any perfect marriages. There are no perfect marriages. God does not respect, in fact, He judges immorality and adultery. And let us not fall into the trap of thinking that as long as we haven't moved as far as the world is today, that we're within the boundaries of the will of God. That is the, ish, that is the problem. Not only is the morality of the world today a slippery slope, it's an icy mountain, and we seem to be on skis heading downhill fast. Now, I'm not a young guy anymore. And I can remember when the mores of the world were, uh, the, the mores of, of the world were here, and the preaching of God's Word uh, was probably over here. We've, we've never been everything that we should be, but the mores of the world was here. And then the morals began to move, and we began to look over and say, well, we're not, at least we're not as bad as them. And then they moved further, and we came over closer to get a look, and, and well, that's where we used to be, and, but we looked and we say, well, at least we're not as far, bad as them. And then they moved again, and we moved again, and they moved again, and we moved again, until we're over here in outer limits from where we started our journey of understanding that we have a responsibility to to answer to God. All that being said, the Supreme Court of the United States has declared same-sex marriage to uh, to be legal. For that reason, let me ask you a question. Don't you think, did I miss a point? 
I did miss a point, didn't I? Let me go back and catch that point before I go to the next one. I got all excited about moving from side to side and totally missed a point. Was that a good point, the the side to side thing? You liked that, didn't you? It wasn't written down. Somebody write it down so I remember it again. Send it to me. Here's the third thing about marriage. Marriage is required. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. You teenage boys understand that? You don't need to be in a hurry, but you do need to get married. Otherwise, you're going to explode. <clears throat> First Timothy five fourteen. So I would. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. <clears throat> First Timothy five fourteen. So I would <laughs> have younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Not only is marriage recommended, marriage is respected. It is required. Marriage is good for men and it's good for women. Marriage is good for the church. Marriage is good for society. Marriage trumps adultery. Marriage trumps immorality. Marriage trumps cohabitation. Those marriages, all of those, <clears throat> them, according to the Bible, are between, that is, marriages are between men and women. In Scripture, there is no such thing as same-sex marriage. And there's plenty of warning against what we call the gay lifestyle. All of that being said, the Supreme Court of the United States has declared same-sex marriage to be legal. For that reason, I ask you this question. Don't you think we can work it out? Well, actually, we can't work it out. Here's an interesting line from that 60s song that the Beatles sang. Try to see it my way. Only time will tell if I'm right or I'm wrong. That's the way we live. That's the problem that we face today. Time has changed the right and wrong of matters that neither the Bible nor God have changed. But the Supreme Court is supreme, and they say that it's legal. First of all, the Supreme Court is not supreme. God is supreme. If the laws of man violate the Word of God, Christians, and especially pastors and churches, must obey God. That was very clear by Simon Peter in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. Now, understand this, and I hope I'm not coming across this way. I'm not mad at anybody. And I'm not trying to throw down a gauntlet or pick a fight. But this church cannot participate in same-sex marriages. We never have, and a ruling by the Supreme Court cannot negate the Word of God. I'm hoping that we never have to face it because it will not be pleasant. And quite honestly, it'll make me and this church appear to be unloving when we're not unloving at all. We're simply bound by our faith in God and the truth of His Word. 
I can say this a lot of ways, and I can put more exclamation points on it, but it, it is what it is. It's a conflict between God and government. There are a lot of things that we can do. You know, you, you can say we can elect more conservative leaders, and, and whatever that means, who will at least try to stem the tide of, of a liberal ocean washing over biblical Christianity. We can speak the truth in love to those who disagree with the Bible. We can pray. We can do the right things as Christians, build strong marriages and homes. But what is needed most? This is the last one. What the world needs now. I believe we take our cue from the instruction given to the children of Israel. Here's that instruction, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And Jesus confirms this in the New Testament as he speaks with a lawyer in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put them to to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, what is written in the law? How do you read? And the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, with your, your neighbor as yourself. And, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The only way to fix what is going on in the world today is to return to where the battle was lost in our churches. That's where the battle was lost. And, and I want to I say something to you. The, for, forget religions, forget denominations, forget anything. Let me tell you when America was better off. I'm not talking about economically. I'm not talking about technology-wise. I'm just talking about when America was better off. America was better off when Roman Catholics... Many of them went to Mass every day. Now there's just a handful of them going to Mass every day. Our world was better off when everybody went to Sunday school who went to church. Our world was better off. Our world was was better off when we had a, a desire, a pull within us to be in the house of God. I, this morning I came in and I saw Ralph and Jean Frisch walking down the hall. They were in front of me. I love both of you so much. I really do. I love you. And Ralph and Jean were going down the hallway and Jean was helping Ralph a little bit and uh, getting to where they're supposed to go and so on. And here's what I thought to myself. I thought, you know, Sunday is when Ralph and Jean get up and they have a place to go and they have something to do and they have a place to be where they belong and they see people that they love and that love them. 
But Ralph and Jean aren't young anymore. And do we let this die away with generations? Do we just let this idea that, that, that God's house, God's people, I think that all people, I, I think, I think that, that priests and rabbis and, and Methodists and, and Presbyterians and Baptists and, and uh, Episcopalians, I believe that all of them should get their people back in church. And America will be better. You say, well, no, only if the Baptists get back in church will America get better. Can I tell you this? The Baptists have been more asleep at the wheel than anybody else. The problem with the world today can be seen in these empty pews. And could I tell you this? It's not just here. It's everywhere. Christianity has become a t-shirt. Christianity has become a praise band. Christianity has become a business meeting. Christianity has become a slogan without meaning. God ordained three institutions on this earth and in this order, the home, the church, and government. And our country, our lives were better and will be better again when our homes were centered on the church and the Bible was welcomed in every public venue. When the church grew weak, the enemy began to attack. Now today, there is no prayer or Bible in public schools, and a lot of Christians have grown so accustomed to it that they think that's the way it should be. Well, if you want Bible and prayer, you ought to go to a Christian school. That is not the way that it should be. We are a Christian nation founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic. And God should not be blocked out of our public lives. Nativity scenes are gone. The Ten Commandments removed and same-sex marriages made legal in all 50 states. And the Supreme Court didn't build that. The weakening state of Christianity in America built that and it was the lack of preaching from pulpits like this one that built that. That's how it happened. The fluff of feel-good rhetoric over hard-hitting truth and that changes our lives accounts for more of the liberal decline than any other factor. Now let me finish with this. I cannot fix Christianity. I can't do it. Could I tell you this? I can't even fix this church. I can only fix me. And that's all you can do. Is fix you. That's all you can do. What will we do about same-sex marriage? That's really not the question. The question is, what will you do about you? That's the question. And when Christians wake up and get themselves fixed, repaired, back in line and we and they humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways steve then god will heal their land president franklin roosevelt said this i doubt 
if there is a problem, political or economic, that will not melt before the fire of a spiritual awakening. God send 